Well, hello and welcome. I'm so excited to be here. I am a fake tree person. I am sorry if that offends you. Actually, I, I lived in Boise for a long time, and we have a lot of trees, but a lot of our pine trees are not like beautiful Douglas firs that have all the branches, so it feels like Charlie Brown Christmas if you do that. So we've got this tree, and now we've got a one-year-old who loves to reach for every single ornament possible. So all of our ornaments have officially moved up a level, and uh, we are doing that. And uh, we just got to visit uh, friends and family for Thanksgiving. My cup is full, and especially because for the first time in a decade, Michigan has finally beat Ohio State. Thank you, Jesus. So uh, my heart is full. My wife is an Ohio State fan, so that's just a picture of the fact that God can do miraculous things. Right. And uh, um, yeah, she actually said to me as we were back here, because we were back here in Grand Rapids, she's like, should we really have moved to Grand Rapids? We didn't I didn't lose when I was in Boise. So, um, yeah, it is good to be able to be here. My name is Adam. I'm the family pastor here, and I'm so excited to be able to share with you this morning a little something that God has been teaching a lot um, to me over the past really a few months, um, maybe a couple of years. And so I'm excited about that. And I just want to say really quick before I jump in, um, thank you to all of you. You have made the transition for our family such an awesome one, a life-giving one. And we're so excited to be a part of this community and uh, just love what God is doing here and the people um, that you guys all are. So thank you for just welcoming us uh, so well. I've got a question before we jump in that I would love for you to talk uh, to somebody around you about. Here's the question. What comes to mind when you think of the word rest? So just find somebody around you really quick and just answer that question. What comes to mind when you think of the word rest? Ready? Go. Give you just uh, about 30 more seconds. Maybe for some of you, uh, when you think of the word rest, it's this positive, glorious word that you just love. It's like, man, I just love taking naps. I was just talking with one of our seniors, just loves going to bed early and sleeping in and rest is just a part of your rhythm and, and you love it with all of your heart. Maybe for some of you, it's not quite that positive experience. Maybe for some of you, when you think of the word rest, uh, maybe some of my elementary, junior high students, you go like, rest is boring. I want something to do. I got something to do. I want to get out there and I want to be moving and shaking. Maybe for some of you, parents especially, you go, rest? What's rest? I'm not quite sure what rest is. I mean, maybe you feel as if rest almost seems impossible in your life. And the truth is, for me, I would probably fall more on the ladder. Um, rest was always something that I knew that I needed, but my mom always told me ever since I was about this big, I never stopped moving. And that's been true for me ever since. I mean, for me, when I was in grade school, junior high, high school, I was always moving and always doing something, filling my time with stuff. I was a notorious time filler. Anybody else, anybody else there? Anybody else with me? I just would fill my schedule to the brim. And for me, especially in those grade school, young 
um, young age times, it was Mad 95 and GoldenEye and Mario Kart 64 and riding my huffy six-speed bike everywhere and anywhere that I could trek, go downtown because I lived in a small town and go to Dairy Queen with my friends and I would just fill my schedule, play sports, run around the neighborhood. There was no time for rest, truthfully, because I didn't want to. And then I hit I had high school, and my mode of transportation changed. It went from a six-speed Huffy to a three-cylinder Geo Metro representing. Three-cylinder Geo Metro. It's like the tiniest little car ever. And I would stuff me and four of my, my football buddies, and we would drive up and down Main Street for hours. My life was really lame, right? Um, we would just drive up and down Main Street just hanging out. And then when we got bored of that, we'd play hacky sack for like, for like, I don't know, two more hours. We would just, but we would fill our schedule no matter what. Friends, school, homework, relationships, you name it. And when I got to college, it didn't get any better. In fact, it probably got worse. I just recently, just a couple days ago, had a friend pick me up from the airport. Um, and when I, got, when I uh, was sitting in his car, he reminded me of this conversation that him and I had. He's like a mentor friend of mine. I lived with him while I was here in Grand Rapids studying at Cornerstone. And he, he reminded me of this time when him and I sat down and we figured out if I actually had enough time to have a girlfriend. That was, that was like what it was. Who is now my wife? Um, so we're trying to figure that out. And after school and homework and multiple jobs and helping run and lead a youth ministry friends, and actually getting sleep and sports, uh, I had exactly four hours of time to be able to have a girlfriend, to which I said, check, game on, let's do this. And, uh, and I married her, and she, she entered into maybe my crazy pace. When I got into ministry um, after graduating, uh, it didn't slow down. I got married, that added a level. We had a house that adds more. And then kid one, two, and three, those are like multipliers. If you, if you have kids, you get that. It's like a multiplier. It feels like, where do I, where do I stop? Where do I slow down? Um, and oftentimes for me, as much as I love the idea of rest, it just didn't happen that much. See, truth was, I was way better at a life that was go, 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 go than a life of slow. I had learned it from an early age, and it was incredibly difficult for me to truly slow down, to rest. Rest was almost a four-letter word for me in the bad kind of way. You know what I mean? Um, I knew that I needed it, but I didn't experience it. I was always busy. I was always doing something, and I was almost always tired. Here's the ironic part. I would sit down with people. And I would encourage them to slow down their lives to create space for God. And here I was, the pastor, doing basically just the opposite. Trying to create margin in my life, but feeling as if I wasn't willing to take that big step to really, truly rest. See, I was just busy. Busy all the time. And uh, there's just a really true phrase for me that I had to learn, in some senses, the hard way that busy isn't healthy. Busy isn't healthy. There's this quote that just resonated so well with me from a guy named John Ortberg um, in a book called Soul Keeping that was kind of the beginning of me trying to process through more and more of this stuff that just says this, busyness is not just a disordered schedule. 
but a disordered heart. And man, did that ring true for me. My schedule was crazy and chaos was happening all around me. Um, And the truth was, is deep inside of me, in some senses, it might have been even worse. I had filled my life so far to the brim that I needed rest so bad, but yet in many senses was not willing to enter into that until a point when it got really bad. Probably about two, two and a half years ago, I was completely wiped out, totally exhausted. Um, I was definitely in a mode of depression, anxiety, and deep stress. And I felt like I couldn't ever turn off because I had too much to do. Life just got crazy and it got out of control and I was out of control. And I remember going to this text, um, a text maybe uh, that could be familiar to some of you in Matthew chapter 11 that Jesus says over and over and over again. It says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Check, double check, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I can't tell you how many times that I came back to that passage. And it was really good for me in the moment to be able to read that because I knew that's what I needed. But here's the problem. Reading a few verses doesn't solve the issue of rest for your soul. And the truth was, is I would go to that and I would read that and create space just for a moment, maybe to have a breath. But I needed more than a breath. I almost needed life support when it came to my soul. I needed more than just a second, more than just five minutes, more than just 15 minutes. I needed more than that. And the truth, the truth for me that I'm realizing more and more is I didn't practice the first three words of that verse. Come to me. And so what I was doing and what I was pursuing was what I would just describe as imitation rest. I would scroll. I would watch a movie. I would veg out. I would check out. I would sit on the couch and my kids would be playing and I wouldn't be present. And I knew that that's not who I wanted to be, but the reality was is I wasn't really coming to Jesus. This is a promise. Jesus was giving us a promise that if we come to him, that we can enter into a rest that's not just for our body, but for our soul. In man, in our culture, do we ever need rest for our soul? I wasn't truly coming to him. And if I was, it was only just for a tiny bit of oxygen instead of something much more that my soul needed. And so I asked the question, okay, what does it look like for me What does it look like to truly go before God and for him to give you the rest that he needed? Because what I was doing wasn't working. And so today, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, a very countercultural spiritual practice. Uh, Aaron last week called it a resistance practice. I like that. It's, It's a practice that almost like creates resistance and, and, and fights off maybe the reality of the world that we live in so that we can experience what God truly wants for us. Um, and maybe it's the most countercultural practice in the planet right now, especially in America. And it's the only practice that is found 
and the Ten Commandments. But it predates Jesus in the first century, and it predates even the practice found in the Ten Commandments. It's called Sabbath. And really, in Hebrew, that just simply means, it's Shabbat is is the word, and it just simply means to stop. To stop striving, to to stop going, to stop working. And man, isn't that what we need, but how difficult it is for us to truly stop in the world today? See, this was established at the very beginning. It was God's plan all along. God created. He, he, in the very beginning in Genesis 1.1, it says that in the beginning, God created. Do I, have any, uh, do I have any elementary kids in here today? Raise your hand. If I don't see many. Raise your hand high. Okay, right over here. Everly, can you tell me a couple things that God created at the beginning, nice and loud? What are things that he made? The sun. Anything else? Trees, yes. God created all of these amazing things. Balls of fire in the sky, mountains and, and waters and oceans and fish and animals. Just so much beauty all around us. And he saved the best thing for last. He created people. It's kind of like the apex of his creation. He saved the best for last. But what's interesting is he didn't save that to be the last day. Actually, the last day was he saved the best for last. It was called the seventh day. It's the Sabbath day. It's the day of stopping. And God declared that that day was a beautiful and blessed day. Listen to how the writer in Genesis describes it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. God was busy, days one through six, doing just a couple things, just taking care of a couple things, aka creating the universe, right? But on the seventh day, he did something different, and he describes it as the best day. I want you to catch just a few things out of this specific single verse um, that I think is just so, so important for us to catch. First thing is that God blessed the seventh day. God blessed that seventh day. There are three things in this creation story that were blessed. First thing was animals. Second thing were people. And the third is a seventh day. It's kind of a weird thing to bless. Animals, people, a day. Well, why did he bless a day? All of those three things had the capability of giving life. Animals could give life to more animals. People could give life to more people. And this day could give life to our souls. So God blessed this day and he describes it. When he blessed that day, what he marked on it is he says that this day is the best day. This is the best day. I know I did all this stuff, but this is the day. You want to experience this day. So first thing you catch is that God blessed the seventh day. The second thing you got to catch is that God made it holy. He made that day holy. Holy. Do you know the first thing that God or that the scriptures describe as holy in all of scripture is? The seventh day. The very first thing that God described as holy was a day. Isn't that interesting? It was set apart. That word holy means set apart, different from all of the others, Um, perfect, complete, and special. He describes that day as he describes himself. 
that I am holy and so is this day. It is perfect. It is the fulfillment of all of the other days. This is what you want. And he describes that day as holy, a day set apart, a day different from all of the others, and a day that is good and is special. And the third thing I want you to catch is that God rested. Just catch that. God, the uncreated author of life who did all of that stuff on purpose because he wanted to rest. It wasn't just for us. It was because he wanted to delight in what he had made. He wanted to sit back, relax, and enjoy the beauty that he had created. And if he rested, shouldn't we? Shouldn't you? If God rested, don't you think that it would be so good for us to do something that God did, that God practiced at the very beginning? Yeah, Adam, I know, but like I'm an extrovert and I like love to move and to go hard and like I got things to do and I got God rested. Yeah, but I, I just started a brand new job and it's kind of crazy and actually I'm about to get a promotion so I got to grind and work. God rested. Yeah, but I got three kids and one on the way and life is kind of crazy. Maybe I'll think about that like when I'm retired. God rested. If God rested, the author of life, don't you think that we should too? See, rest is a gift that God is extending to you. The question is, will we be people who receive it or not? And that's what's so countercultural about this. That's what's so challenging is the world is saying, no, keep your time and go grind it out, accomplish and accumulate as much as possible. When God is saying, no, I've got a different way. It may seem ordinary, but it is beautiful. It is the best way to live. And you can choose to receive that day and that gift or not. So you may be thinking, okay, well, I'm kind of intrigued, but what does it actually look like? What could it actually mean or how does it play out for me to actually rest for an entire day? Well, let me give you a quick one-sentence picture of what uh, Sabbath could look like. Pete Cesaro, in a book called Emotionally Healthy Leader, uh, he, he shared a little bit of what Sabbath looks like in a one-sentence, which I love one-sentence stuff because I can like, Lock it into all of this into a sentence. So here's what he says. Biblical Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time in which we stop work, enjoy rest, practice delight, and contemplate God. Stop work, enjoy rest, practice delight, and contemplate God. Four things that can help us understand what a Sabbath rest could look like. First one is just simply stop. Truth is, some of us just need to stop working for a day and trust that God is at work even when we're not. It's an idol that we need to lay down and recognize that work is good, but it isn't our God. And sometimes we just need to lay that down to trust God in the midst of that space. For some of us, that can be incredibly difficult, especially in a digital age when you can get an email and a text message and a phone call that fast. You might've already gotten one while you're here, right? But stop working is a part of what this looks like. But I think it might mean stopping a couple other things, especially in our generation. Maybe we need to stop working so that we can be present with our family and our friends. 
And maybe we need to stop shopping so that we can enjoy the things that God has already blessed us with. To stop working, to stop shopping, to just simply enjoy and be present and not have to go and do, but to simply be. And maybe for some of you, it also means stop scrolling. What would it look like if your phone didn't control you? If you didn't have to look at it every single 10 minutes of your day? And so that you could just simply be present and in the moment, because we all know as great as this cell phone is that is in our pockets, it is the greatest distraction in the history of the world and potentially one of the greatest idols that has ever been created. So to stop working, to stop shopping, and to stop scrolling is a beautiful way to start a Sabbath. The second thing is rest. Some of you, you love that idea of rest and you, it was a positive thing, but we need to rest and maybe sleep in a little bit if, you, if it's possible. I know that I've got like a one-year-old that I call the chaos monster that comes out of its lair every morning. And I've got to be careful and be ready for that chaos monster to come, right? He's beautiful and he's awesome and he's super fun, but it's difficult to rest in that space. Maybe you need to go to sleep when your kids go to sleep. That'd be crazy. Or maybe you just need to find time to be able to take a nap. Or maybe just a simple question, when's the last time that you stopped long enough to notice that the clouds were moving around you. I, I did that just, I stopped, I took a breath, I went outside um, this last week and just like kind of got away of the crazy for like literally five minutes and went, holy cow, the clouds are moving. Like it was the first time that I'd noticed that in a long time. Or when's the last time you noticed the sunset or heard the birds chirping because you were actually present enough to notice stuff, to notice your kids to notice your wife, your spouse, to rest, to cuddle, to snuggle, and just to hang out. So the first one is stop. Second one is rest. The third one, this one's probably my favorite, is delight. God doesn't, in, on Sabbath, it doesn't just simply mean that you just like hunker down in a room, you open up your Bible for four to six hours, you pray for three hours, you fast, and then you go to bed. That's not what Sabbath looks like. It's a day of delighting in things that delight you and delighting in God. John Mark Comer described it, and I love this, as pleasure stacking. So what he would do is he would take some of his favorite things in life and he would put them on the Sabbath. I thought it was just, this is just like a aha, it's duh moment. But what he would do is he would take his favorite foods, his favorite drinks, his favorite places that he loved to go, his favorite restaurants, his most favorite people, and he would stack his Sabbath with those types of things where he would anticipate his favorite things, things that he delighted in. The place that you love to go walking or you go hiking, he just, he did that and I just love that idea. That was like the one thing that I felt like I had done when it came to Sabbath that was good for me is I would always go and play basketball. I love going to play basketball. It's like been a part of my life for a long time. And I would go play basketball and it was just so refreshing for me to be able to do that. On Sabbath, it doesn't mean that you like can't go do things. It just means stop working and be present and in the moment and enjoy some things that, that bring you great delight. And then the last one is worship, contemplating God. Just to slow down enough to, to let God meet you. Just as Jesus says, come to me. See, a Sabbath isn't a Sabbath if God isn't a part of it. 
lot of people can go and rest, but Jesus promises that he's the one who brings rest to our soul. So we create space for him to move and for him to be able to work. And maybe it means sitting and actually stopping to listen or to notice his creation or to listen to one of your favorite worship songs or to dive deeply into a book that centers your heart on God or to slow down and enjoy just a few verses and take them in. Just a time and a space for awe, for prayer, for quiet reflection and thanksgiving, for listening and a space for learning the way of Jesus and letting him meet you in that space to fill your soul. In Psalm 37, it says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Just slowing down our lives to wait for God to move in our hearts. I love this uh, quote by Dan Allender about the Sabbath. It says this, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It's the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the day that we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it. And listen to this, and make it holy because a day full of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime. I love that, let alone a week. See, the Sabbath isn't supposed to be a burden. It's supposed to be a blessing that fills your soul. Something that God established as a gift for you. And so I was just thought it might be helpful for me to share a little bit of what this rhythm looks like for me. Truthfully, I did this by myself for a while, and I would call it a Sabbath-ish, and it was like the sloppiest version of a Sabbath ever. Um, and so I've actually talked to my wife, I've talked to my kids, and we're game planning what this day is going to look like for us. For many of you, your Sabbath will be on Sunday, and coming to service and being a part of this would be a part of that Sabbath. And you get to begin to dream about what that could look like yourself. For us, we're going to do it from Friday lunch to Saturday lunch. I get to start my Sabbath with my wife. We're going to go out on a date. We're going to enjoy a meal together. We're going to check in and see how each other are doing. And we're going to take some time to be able to pray together, all with a chaos monster lurking right behind us, right? That's okay, because we're just going to roll with that, right? And so we're going to enjoy that. Then we're going to put him down in his lair. And then we are going to enjoy a little bit of time just together. Um, my wife will likely take a nap, which she's just got the spiritual gift of taking naps. I wish I had it. I'm going to work on it. But I'm also going to do this thing called an examine. Just take a weekly, a weekly examine, take a look back at my life, and just check in and just take some time to be able to bring my week before God to, to reflect on it, because I think we do a really bad job of reflecting, and then just to reset. Then once the kids get home from school, we're going to hang out and play um, for a little while. We're going to have a meal together. That meal will always include ice cream. I can almost guarantee it because all of us love ice cream. We're going to delight in that. And um, me and the kids and my wife are working on a prayer that we're going we're gonna to say together to kind of welcome the Sabbath together as a family. So the kids are going to like offer their perspectives and their thoughts, and we're going to do that together. It'll be kind of fun and um, 
probably pretty adorable too. So I'm looking forward to that. Then after, potentially after that, depending on how everything goes, and again, this is all just speculative. We're just working on this. Our first one is next week. But we're going to, once a month, we're going to take out each of our kids and we're going to have like a special date for them or or an evening where we get to hang out with them. So they can be excited about what that looks like too. A day for them to play, to delight in something that they love and for us to be present with them um, in that. So we're looking forward to that. Try to go to bed early. Try to limit the cell phones altogether. Throw them in a drawer if we can and just be together as a family. Then we'll get up in the morning, spend some time Hopefully, maybe before the crazy hits, spend a little bit of time in God's word, enjoy a nice cup of coffee. We love a big breakfast, and we would love to invite some friends along the way and just enjoy those last few hours together as a family. That's a little bit of what our Sabbath initially is going to look like. But it's going to be clunky because my son is about to start basketball, and he's going to have tournaments on Saturdays. And so, like, I get that it's not going to be perfect, and we're okay with it. This doesn't have to be perfect. It's not intended to be perfect. It was intended to give you rest for your soul. Maybe think about Sabbath as the less stressful version of Christmas that you could have every week. So take some of the stress out and what does Christmas look like and maybe the good parts of that and you could start there. Maybe for some of you it means I can't do 24. I couldn't do a full day, but maybe you could start with four or eight or 12 hours, and building into what that looks like um, from there. But my question that I've been asking myself in the midst of this is, what could this do to my soul? I mean, I thought about it, if, if I'm alive for the next 50 years, and I practice Sabbath as much as I could every week, I would have 2,600 days of rest. Think about what that could potentially do for your soul, in your life, not just on Sunday or not just on that Sabbath day, but for every day. I love this quote that Walter Brueggemann said. He said this, people who Sabbath live all seven days differently. And man, I think that's true. I think it'll change our perspective on life. And I'm uh, cautiously optimistic to be able to see how it's going to work. I don't know. It's not going to be perfect. It's not necessarily going to be easy. It's going to take some planning Because all important things usually take a little bit of planning, but it's planning to stop instead of planning to go, which is the shift that I'm trying to make. Because I will go automatically, so I need to work hard to slow down. And so let's be people who live different, who go against the grain of culture, and who actually believe that what Jesus said is true. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know what followed those verses on rest for your soul? Two stories on Sabbath. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that that was what he was painting a picture of. It's not just 15 minutes, but a day that Jesus wants you to find rest for your soul. So I've got a question that I want you just to consider. What can I do in a 24-hour period of time that would bring me great joy and point me to a great God? I want to give you just like a minute to think about that. And then from there, I want to take a second just to maybe read a prayer of Sabbath after that. 
and then have some time just to reflect and to respond through a song. So take a minute just to reflect on what this could look like. Maybe take a quick picture of it and talk about it as a family as well. I want to read a prayer to you um, just on the Sabbath, a prayer to welcome Sabbath. It says this, Lord of creation, create in us a new rhythm of life composed of hours that sustain rather than stress, of days that deliver rather than destroy, of time that tickles rather than tackles. Lord of liberation, by the rhythm of your truth, set us free from the bondage and baggage that breaks us, from the pharaohs and fellows who fail us, from the plans and pursuits that prey upon us. Lord of resurrection, may we be raised into the rhythm of your new life, dead to deceitful calendars, dead to fleeting friend requests, dead to empty peace of our accomplishments. To our packed full planners, we bid peace. To our over-caffeinated consciences, we say cease. To our suffocated, suffocating selves, Lord, grant release. Drowning in the sea of deadlines and death chimes, we rest in you, our lifeline. By your ever restful grace, allow us to enter your Sabbath rest as your Sabbath rest enters into us. In the name of our creator, our liberator, our resurrection and life, we pray.